I'm very thankful that you all came back this morning. And, um, and I wanted to thank the interpreters and the deaf for being here. That's very special that they're able to be here. What I would like to do first, and I'm going to see if it works here. We will try. I would like for everybody to say hello to my husband, who is still stuck over there in South Africa. So everybody wave. Okay. Oh, say hi over there, there. So do you say thank you? Would you want to say something just real quick? Go ahead. Well, I want to thank I want to thank everyone for the I want to thank everyone for their prayers. This has certainly been one of the most miraculous times in my life. God has God has met with me so intimacy in the ICU. I have never experienced such a moving of the of God's work in my heart. I I will never trade a moment of this of, of this thirty six days. It's the 36 days God used to work in my heart. How can I ever change? Uh, I, hope, I hope that this has done something that, that can help me to be a better father, husband, uh, pastor, and, but more than that, a Christian, all because of what God did. I would never exchange anything for this. So whatever God is doing in your life, hang on. He wants to do something. God bless you all. All right. Love you. Bye. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, I got to kind of get my, my stuff up here and get, get situated um, before I begin. If any of you have ever seen my husband preach with the deaf, he's all about props and illustrations, and some you just wish he wouldn't have thought to use <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but anyway um so yesterday because I, I know everybody's probably hungry let's see if that thing's still there yeah it is um start 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 hearing stomachs growl and all that good stuff so um but yesterday i spoke about the voices of the harvest and the voices of the laborers i thought it was a blessing this morning a couple of the ladies they are the harvest they were the harvest and the, they are the voices that are now the laborers and that's the best thing is when the harvest becomes laborers and because they've seen what God did in their life. Um, so tonight, t today is kind of a little more focused on you. If my husband had been here, he would have preached a message that talks about um, <clears throat> basically the people who, there's the people who go and the people who stay. And I'm not going to preach his sermon, but that's kind of who I want to focus on today is the people who stay um, here in supporting the work of the people who go. And so with that in mind, I said yesterday, I'm going to talk about the harvest that has become deaf because the laborers have been silenced. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, um, I know it's kind of hard to do this because you usually read the bedtime stories at night. But um, I'm going to do this right now. So if you've ever heard this story before, don't give away the ending, okay? So it says, once upon a time... And every great fairy tale starts with once upon a time. Okay, once upon a time, there was a king who made the determination that people were either guilty or innocent in a very unusual way. In a large arena, the king would sit on his throne, and below him was a door that opened, and the accused man would enter the arena. Across the way were two doors exactly alike, side by side. 
the man had to pick one door. Behind one, didn't know which, was a beautiful lady to marry. And behind the other was a hungry tiger. And if he picked the lady, he was innocent and would marry the lady immediately. But if he picked the tiger, he was guilty of certain death. No one knew which door the tiger was behind except the handler. So one day a young man and the king's daughter fell in love, of course, all right, as all fairy tales do. And the king was angry, so he sent the young man to the arena. The young man faced the princess, sitting next to her father. She had paid the handler to tell her who was behind each door. The beautiful lady behind one of the doors was someone she absolutely hated. The man that she loved would have to marry her if he chose that door. He would certainly die if he picked the door with the tiger. So the young man locked eyes with the princess as if to say, which door? And she hinted discreetly to the door on the right. So he turned, and with a firm and rapid step, he walked across the empty space. Every heart stopped beating, every breath was held, every eye was fixed upon that man. And without the slightest hesitation, he went to the door on the right and opened it. The end. That's just wrong. Did anybody, has anybody ever heard that story before? I hate that story. Because, like, that's like the most terrible ending of a story ever. Because you don't know what's, okay, so which was it? Was it the right, okay. But on this particular story, only you get to decide the ending of it in your mind of how that story ends. So I'm going to ask how many romantics out there and say that it was the princess that was behind the door. <laughs> we don't have very many romantics here. Okay, how many realists like me know it was the tiger? Yeah, it was the tiger. I mean, all day long it was a tiger. There's no way she's going to let him marry the woman that she hates. Okay, just say it. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So you've probably heard some maybe some speakers in the past talking about this type of thing, but I'll just I'll briefly touch on it. It says, each one of us is a story in the making. And, um, you know, when I make decisions on my own, and can, is it okay if I put this aside? I'm not going to, like, break it if I... Okay, good. All right, thank you. It's kind of like this. Let me see here. I'm going to put this one over here. This is how you and I kind of write our story. Does anybody have to write anything? You had to really think about it, essays in school or college or something or whatever, and you're like, what am I going to, okay. So I'm going to write my story. Um, once upon a time. No, that's too cliche. Eons <laughs> and eons ago, when nobody had any fun. <laughs> no, that's part of a Ron Garris sermon. Um, okay. Oh, wait a second. Okay, I need this one. 
four score <laughs> and seven years ago. Uh, that's honest aid. We kind of need a guy like that right now. Okay. Um, all right. Let's start again. Okay. Fresh paper. Okay, good. We're good. Okay. A long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. <laughs> no, I'll never make it. the best of times <laughs> it was the worst of times oh plagiarism <laughs> miss van and Manon would kill me as some of you know some of you got to meet miss van and Manon. i'm just saying if you haven't okay so you know this is how we write our stories kind of how we start writing them ourselves and when we finally stop writing our stories it's kind of like we do this We take what we've written and we open it up and then we smooth it out as best as we can and then we're like, okay, God, here it is. Can you make something pretty with it? When what we should have done in the first place was give him this, this nice, smooth, shiny piece of paper and let him do the writing. But a lot of times... Uh, especially some control freaks out there, we got to do it ourselves. I mean, nobody else can do it for us. I, I know what I want. And it's hard for us to rely on God for those kind of things. So, you know, I mentioned this before, but you're like, you know, what does this part of this have to do with anything about missions and the harvest and everything? But I will tell you this. Did you ever think that your decisions may change the ending of someone else's story? What if that person decided they were tired that morning to put that track on that lady's door? Where's she at who spoke, gave her testimony this morning over here? What if he said, I don't feel too good today. Yeah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. It gets, gets old. She wouldn't be sitting here today. Whoever that was changed the ending of her story, and that's what we do. And... Um, <clears throat> I don't appreciate you all making a liar out of me, so I brought my tissue with me about me not being very overly emotional, so I'll have it ready with me just in case. But <clears throat> if you're a Christian and you've been around the ministry long enough, how many of you say most of your life you were either saved or in church? Most of you, okay. Okay, what about some of you have not? Maybe this was a church was a new thing, maybe. So, okay, so there's a few but most everybody had that church experience. Um, I would say in the Christian ministry, you have run across disgruntled people who've quit and are more than happy to tell you why and bring others down with them. Anybody had that happen? Okay. And anything I say here, I know how it is. The preacher was following me all week long and he knew what I was, you know. No, I haven't talked to anybody. Nobody's explained anything to me. It's just my father was a preacher, a pastor, and I'm married to one and we just kind of know how it is. You know, that's it's the same in every single church. Nothing is different. 
So the Bible mentions seven things that are an abomination to the Lord <clears throat> in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. So part of the verse 18 and 19 mentions some of these. Feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And the soweth discord one, that's the doozy. All right. Um, I'd, I've heard of so many stories <clears throat> of churches during COVID who have been hit hard, but it wasn't COVID that did it. It was not COVID that did it. It was discord and maybe how things were handled um, you know, in our parts where we are. I mean, you guys, I mean, this is like, I walk off the plane, it's like, freedom! You know, I mean, we live with our mask where we are. And everybody's got all these different opinions about things. And it's amazing how that whole scenario had just hit churches with discord. <clears throat> it was a whole new ball game for everybody. Nobody had ever experienced this before and knew what really to do. And even in different regions, it's different. Uh, we, our state was one of the first ones to close down. And um, so it's kind of been off and on. But it's usually easy to spot the ones who are on the verge of causing problems or quitting. They're the ones who start disagreeing with things and making these little snarky jabs every once in a while. They kind of start out sounding a little funny, but they kind of start out as just little snarky jabs. Um, they're the ones who never invite you to their house for dinner, but all of a sudden they do. And then they start asking questions like, so what did you think about that decision? Um, don't you think we should have done this instead? And it's kind of like they're the serpent who suddenly comes up to Eve and says, yay, hath God said? They're just like that. You know, and I'm not saying that we should cover up sin. If there's something that's wrong, I'm not saying that at all. But um, we have to be wise as ladies. But why is discord such an abomination? It's because those who cause the problems and those who take others with them generally are not the ones who cherish the harvest. They're the foxes who spoil the vine and leave a trail of devastation behind. They're the wolves whose actions cause empty church buildings with padlocks on them and weeds growing up the sides. I've seen them. My, my own husband's home church is no longer in exist existence where he grew up in Ohio. So they're the, they're the wolves whose sharp fangs glisten in the sun as God writes the word Ichabod, the glory has departed, above the church door, and then they scurry on to the next listening ear. Every church has them. Everybody, every church, every area. So what are some of these things that might cause us to quit? What things allow our voice to be silenced and cause the harvest to become deaf to the gospel? So there's just a few practical things that I kind of wanted to share with you. Um, just some things that maybe we deal with on a daily basis or things in church. Um, but mark it down in church and in the ministry, you will, and I've got capital letters in my notes, you will be hurt. You will. Has anybody here ever been hurt in the church by something somebody has ever? Oh, come on. I know you guys got to be more than that. You just not admit it. Okay. You, and you may not show it outwardly, but you feel it. You feel it inwardly when you've, when you've been hurt. Um, others will misunderstand and talk about you. It's a given, but there's a quote I saw that says this. If anyone tells you that a certain person speaks ill of you, don't make excuses, but answer and say, 
She was ignorant of my other faults. Otherwise, she wouldn't have just mentioned these. <laughs> Am I saying it's easy to tell yourself that? No, it's not. But self-preservation, yeah, that's what we've got to do. It says, you know, many times we're hurt because of these misunderstandings or our pride. Um, <laughs> this is funny. We were in a meeting recently with several missionaries that were to the deaf. They were showing this video for the gospel that they wanted to be showing to the, uh, I don't know if it was a deaf Olympics or deaf, um, some international deaf thing. And so they were asking the opinion of the deaf people there, what they thought about it. And my husband happened to mention a couple of concerns that he saw, saw with it. And one of the other missionaries said to my husband, you are saying that because you are fake deaf. And the, the room was like, you could just cut it like with a knife when he said that. I mean, I was done. I knew he was very blunt and worked with the deaf for many years, but I just didn't expect him to kind of be that rude. So everybody was just looking at each other. And then all of a sudden, my husband realized all these eyes are looking at him. He didn't even hear what he said. <laughs> <clears throat> so he just... He, you know, he just kind of laughed, you know, and didn't say anything because he's like, I have no idea what, was, what just happened, you know. And um, so afterwards, that missionary had come up, and he told my husband, he said, in our country, it was in Brazil, he said, in our country, someone who is hard of hearing is called fake deaf. That whole scenario could have gone, like, so wrong if my husband had responded in anger for what was not intended as an insult. And so we kind of had to make sure that other people kind of knew that too so they, <laughs> they wouldn't get upset because it, you know, it was pretty stunning whenever he said it. There's a great Christian, Andrew Murray, um, who said, Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wander at nothing that is done to me, to feel no thing done against me. It's to be at rest when nobody praises me, and when I am blamed or despised, it's to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in, shut the door, and kneel to my Father in secret and at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. Wouldn't that be great to be able to live like that? But that's not easy. And that's a choice. And that's something we have to think about. So... One way to help with taking offense is by putting on someone else's glasses. Um, have fun explaining that one, okay? Attempting, okay, here we go. Here's a good one. All right, attempting to see their perspective. There we go. I just answered the question. Okay, so it helps resolve misunderstandings, wrong assumptions. I hate wearing these glasses, but yeah, my contacts, I can't, I think I'm allergic to my contacts or something. So, um, but if I take my glasses off, and put someone else's on, it helps me to understand what they're going through. We just had this experience recently. <clears throat> There's a hearing woman of color in, uh, that had been coming to our church named Sonia, <clears throat> and her college-age daughter had been learning sign language. So during the incident that was going on in America with George Floyd and all of that, they wanted to speak to my husband and I about our take, our perspective on this. And we're like, oh, this is going to be rough conversations, you know. Th th these are things that people talk about, but it can become easily heated. <clears throat> so what we basically told them was, was, 
Is there racism? Absolutely. Because of sin. Are all people racist? No, because of grace. One is because of sin. The other is because of grace. And so we had a good conversation. But what she said next, it really, it kind of broke my heart when she said this. But it has to do with perspectives. They've been coming for a while. And she said, you know, when we had an issue with our bathroom and it flooded and your husband said he had a blower fan that he'd bring over to the house and let us use. I said, yes. She goes, well, I called you whenever I was ready to bring it back. And um, I said I was going to go ahead and drive over to your house and drop it off. And then you told me to just go ahead and <clears throat> meet you down at the church to drop it off. She said, I thought that you didn't want me to drive up to your house and come to your house to drop it off because I'm black. And it was like the furthest thing f- from my mind. It really broke my heart. It just so sad. I was just like, I was like, but it's her perspective. She said, my daughter told me she didn't think that was the case, but that was also an older and younger perspective too. Older generation may have a different perspective than the younger generation. So my, she said, my daughter said, maybe we ought to talk to you about that. I said, well, I'm glad you did. And I said, look, Sonia, I said, number one, I said, my house is 10 minutes further from the church, and I wanted to save your gas by not driving all the way about out to my place when I had to go to the church anyway. I said, well, number two, if you came out to my house, I would feel pressured to have to clean it up, and I really didn't want to. <laughs> so that was my perspective, and it, we were all good. You know, but it, it was her experiences that caused to have that perspective, and maybe my lack of that experience caused me not to understand that perspective. So those kinds of things happen all the time, and they happen in churches. But we cannot afford to allow our bad experiences to color the vision of reality. There is no such thing. It's very popular to say. There's no such thing as my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's just truth. So that's very popular to say that. And I'm like, and I talked to my deaf ladies about it. I was like, there is no my truth. This is my experience. But it's not my truth. There's just truth. And we have to remember that. So whenever we're putting on these other glasses, it kind of keeps me emotionally from becoming a casualty. And it helps preserve my spirit and keeps me at peace. There was a story I heard about a man, older man, who went on a train. And there was this younger guy in there who was just kind of a little disheveled and not quite there. And there was four little kids, like, running around. He was just getting really annoyed because these kids are making a lot of noise and stuff. And he was getting ready to say something. And then the man just kind of shook himself and he told the man he said um i'm so sorry you know for the the kids he said we just left the hospital said my wife just died and i don't know how to tell the kids it's perspective the older man had no clue what was going on in this man's life you know um this other father probably didn't understand that this guy had about 10 kids that drive him crazy. And, you know, that was his perspective on either ends of that, of that story. But nowadays, it, like, especially in our state, I don't know about here, it's hard to find places, find workers, and everybody seems mad. I mean, this is Oklahoma, and everybody loves everybody, right? <laughs> okay, where we, you know, my daughter's been in South Africa. She's like, they're all so nice here. Everybody says hi and expects you to tell how you're doing back. 
She's like, they just look at you funny in Ohio, um, you know, or they're just not very nice. So, um, you know, like I said, we were one of the first to shut down. We see signs everywhere that say not enough staff. There's no guarantee when the stores are going to be open. You can't trust the store hours on the website because you don't know if they're going to have workers to for those shifts. So you know, when I see somebody working and I know they've been struggling to try to find people, I will look at them specifically and say, thank you for working today because a lot of people aren't or won't. Thank you for working today. Um, I'm not perfect, but you're going to run into a grump in life. So to preserve my spirit when I run into the grump, again, I don't do this because I'm so spiritual that I just want to be nice to everybody. I do this to protect me, my spirit from getting bad, which helps me. And so, um, you know, if they're having a bad day, maybe they got some bad news, you know, and I see someone that's like that and I'm like, you know, maybe this is their first day on the job. How would I feel if it was my first day serving lines of people who have no patience, you know? Um, then if I run into a person, I think, this guy's a jerk. It's like a real jerk. So then I just say to myself, he needs Jesus. He needs <laughs> Jesus, okay? Um, if they're saved and they're acting like a jerk, then I tell myself, man, she needs to get right with God or she just needs a swift kick of the kulots. Not good. Okay? So um, near our church, there's a gas station that's new. And I go there quite often for my Mountain Dew that I have not had yet. So I'm hoping the, the headache doesn't kick in for about three more hours. So um, there's a lady that works there, older, little short lady, little short hair. And she looks like she has no friends in the world. Absolute grump, never smiles. Um, so one day I decided that it was going to be my challenge to make this woman smile. That was my challenge, okay? That was my challenge for the day. So I didn't intend for this to happen this day, but I walked in. She's by herself. So I went to go get a drink, and I was getting ready to put the lid on, and something happened. I pushed into something. The lid came off. The whole thing, it was like a 32-ounce drink to the floor. Everything's all over the floor, the ice, the pop, everything. I was like, uh-oh, and I could just feel the stare <laughs> over here, you know, and um, so, you know, I asked her, I said, um, you know, what do, you, do you have mop or something like that? She's like, don't worry about it, just go, I'll, I'll have to clean it up myself, so I didn't even give her a chance to answer. I went to the back storeroom while she's standing there. I go in the back storeroom, I grab the mop with the little bucket thing, those mops that you hate with the, <laughs> you know, the ones that's all nasty smelling, those ones. So with the little squeeze thing. And so I grab it. She's still standing behind the counter. Oh, there, I'm mopping up this pop. I'm cleaning up the ice. I get it all wiped down and everything. She just looks at me, and she's like, you're pretty good with that mop. <laughs> no smile. Pretty good with that mop. So, um, you know, everything was good. And so the next time I went in, I just told her, I said, hey, I'm here to dump another pop on the floor, so it's just so I can make your day. She looked at me, and she started busting up laughing. She's like, you better not. I was like, yes, there it is. It was little, but I saw it, you know. And so now every time I walk in, she's just, she just smiles. How you doing? Because she's like, I'm not going to steal one today, you know. And um, so take it a challenge when you see these people. You know, just make it a game. Make it fun, you know. And um, 
So here's another thing to think about that can silence our own voice and cause the harvest to be deaf is our own responses and reactions to others. So I want you to think about this very foreign concept, okay, to some. You do not always, not always, have to say what you think. (laughs) You don't. Now, my husband thinks he does, but I think that's just a, that's just a deaf culture thing, okay? Um, sometimes our greatest accomplishment in life is to just keep our mouths shut. And I like this statement. Learn to pray it, don't say it. Learn to pray it, don't say it. So my husband, Scott, he's a visionary. He's always got these visions going through his head of things we're going to do, great things for God that we're going to accomplish or around the house. And... Um, <laughs> And it used to drive me absolutely bonkers, okay? How many married people we have here? Married folks got, okay. Used to drive me crazy. Okay, he's always full of these ideas, and these ideas would frankly, like, worry me, you know, these ideas that he would have. But then I realized that he was just kind of brainstorming out loud, and a lot of the stuff that I worried about didn't come to pass. So, you know, I was getting all worried and, you know, things like that, and, um, Verdina cracks me up. She's one of the deaf ladies there. My husband, he would do this at the church. Yeah, I think maybe we ought to do this and this and this. You know. And finally, she just looked at him. She goes, Pastor Scott, you need to stop air talking. <laughs> That's exactly how she said I'm like, that is so good and so right. Air talking, just saying the stuff. And we just die laughing because I was like, I get it, I get it. So, I mean, it was like perfect. So early when we were married, you know, when he would come up with these, you know, these early marriage lessons that you learn, he would come up with all these ideas. You know, of course, I had to give my rebuttal, of course, you know, why this maybe wasn't a good idea. And it would cause conflict. I mean, just a plain old fight, okay? It's not good. So one day, after he mentioned an idea, I just said, I just looked at him, I said, you're absolutely right. He looked at me. He didn't say anything. He just kind of walks away. So I did the same thing several more times, but he kind of caught on. He says, you're just saying that so we won't get into an argument. And so I looked at him. I said, you're absolutely right. (laughs) So sometimes you just got to be smart. So would your husband fall over and die of a heart attack if you told him he was right every once in a while? <laughs> so you might want to think about that. Okay, don't do what I did. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about bitterness. A lot of people have this issue with bitterness. Um, there's a lady in our church named Betty. What had happened when the building that we started renting, it had been a former Southern Baptist church that had closed its doors. Got down to four members and then the pastor's wife. The people left behind wanted it to remain a church and a ministry. So then they allowed us to be able to rent the building um, because it would stay a church, and then um, they eventually would turn it into a Bible institute. All right? So these four, I mean, they agreed, okay, we're going to merge. We're going to keep using it as a church. It's going to become a Bible institute. We kind of work together side by side. So after a bit of time, that's when we found out that they put it on the market for an astronomical number. And when Betty found out about it, she about hit the roof. 
because she's now a member of our church. She loves our church. She doesn't know a lick of sign language except, how are you? That's it. Okay, but she, she loves it. And she, it was hard on her. They had given this property with the five acres, this building and five acres, to these people and it had trusted them that this is what they're going to do with it. We want it to stay in the ministry. But now they're selling it for profit and it's probably going to get leveled and the church will not be here anymore. And that was very, very tough on her. It was tough for us to go through that situation. And, I mean, she'd been there for 20 years and one of the other ladies for 30. And she's like, we could have given it to you, you know, when starting this deaf church. So she, she started coming and she was having trouble with this, this bitterness. And finally we told, we told Betty, we said, look, if God had given us this property, there are so many people that we would never have met in this process of paying it off. So many people. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you what the full amount was, but at, as of right now, March will be one year we've been able to pay $350,000 off of that property in less than one year. That's not us. That's God doing that. That's other people helping. And I said, if this had not happened, then we wouldn't have the community connections that we have in our community if it had just been given to us. If those neighbors wouldn't have wondered, why are they marching around the field? What's up with that church? What are they doing? And then they ask. Even the Homeowners Association president behind the contact of us said, what's going on with, you know? And so I told her, we can't be bitter about that when God is using it in a positive manner. We can't be upset with that. And so the hardest thing for my husband and I to do was to walk in when we closed on the property. And um, here was the other pastor and staff from that church who was getting ready to profit this big amount of money. And for us to stand up after it was all over and look them in the eye and shake their hand and say, thank you for letting us buy this property. When we know what happened. He would not even look us in the eye and walked out. Because I think he knows, you know, what had happened. So don't let that bitterness that, you know, robs you of your joy and being a blessing to others. And we also need to learn to pick our battles in our marriages, our families, and our churches and I really hope I don't get in trouble for this, Miss Gaddis. Hope she's not listening. Okay. But um, I have a doctrinal question that I need to ask you all. Okay. So, again, I hope I don't get into trouble. I have one question. <laughs> is it this way? Yes. Or is it this way? No. This is it, people. You are wrong. No. Wrong. Okay, let's take a vote. Take a vote. This way? Oh, you are not my people anymore. Okay, this way? You are my people. Okay, great. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's things that dumb that cause the problems in their marriages and families and in our churches. It's like, in the scheme of life, in this big world, does it matter? Maybe to you it does, but, you know. It's just, not that, it's just not that important. So, you know, is our pettiness or the complaints that we have, is that causing the harvest to become deaf because you have silenced your own voice because of bitterness and some of these other reactions? 
So Ephesians 6.16 talks about quenching the fiery darts of the wicked. But why does the armor of God say little or nothing about protecting the back? It certainly helped us consider retreating, but it could be because God has your back and God's people should have your back. If they do, then we don't need the protection in the back from the enemy if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. But what happens, though, if that attack comes from behind? So one of the last issues I'm going to mention is what I would call friendly fire. And the definition of friendly fire is weapon fire coming from one's own side, especially fire that causes accidental injury or death to one's own forces. So what happens if the fiery darts don't come from the devil, but they come from fellow Christians? Um, is there anybody besides me who's experienced that? Okay, I would think so. Um, so those darts hurt way more than the darts from the devil, I would say. So have you ever wanted to throw them the towel after that's happened and say, well, what's the use? What's the use? But the last thing in the world you should do, but we do it, is to pick up the darts and throw them back. That's the worst thing to do, even though you're a good shot. <laughs> because when you throw those darts, it can cause collateral damage in your marriage, in your family, and in your church that you never intended and damage that you can never undo. How many closed churches today because of this? Toilet paper and carpet and pews and masks. Scars from hurt in your life are evidences of injury, but they are also evidences of healing. And that's the way we have to remember it. There's a quote that I read once that I thought was really poignant. It says, if you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. So I'm going to read that again. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. So you know, we can't allow our injuries to cause us to quit by allowing them just to remain open sores that just fester and just negatively impact the lives of others around us, including the harvest. So you have to get a hold of God and ask him to help you to get over it and move on. Or those people in the harvest aren't going to be sitting here in these seats because we've quit. So where we are, we absolutely love our harvest. Our church, they've got a great, friendly spirit, wonderful people. We want to keep it that way. We pull pranks on each other, hiding scary faces in each other's cars, just to have a good laugh. Um, my, my son, he does graphic design. From his work, there was this extra big old fat head, I guess what they call it, cardboard corrugated thing. Don't even know who the guy is, this picture of. So I think it's some guy in New Albany. And um, so it, 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 we will hide it in somebody's back seat, one of their cars, whoever's got their door unlocked. <laughs> but they have to be parked in this way because we want them to turn around. And it's got these big, scary-looking eyes. It's just got these steely eyes. And so I gave it, after I'd done it to a few people, one of our deaf ladies, I gave it to her. I said, hey, go back to where you live, the apartments where a lot of deaf live, so you can try to scare them. She texted me two days later. She goes, I am not happy with you. And I said, what? She said, I went to the tire store to get my tires checked out, and I forgot <laughs> that it was in my back seat. And I about had a heart failure turning around and seeing this guy just looking at me. 
So she sent me a picture on her phone with that. You could see the guy's face in the background. She's going, <laughs> you know. But so we have a lot of fun with it. But one thing I will tell you, we will jealously guard our church from any hint of drama and discord by sitting down and communicating with each other. My husband says we will do everything we can to not have deaf dramaville here. A lot of deaf do it. Deaf dramaville. Hearing too. My husband says, life signs don't do drama. And that we do everything we can to try to avoid that. So let me finish with this part. This this CT stud that did a sermon that was called The Chocolate Soldier. In it, he says, we are Christian soldiers. The challenge of the Christian soldier is not to faint in the day of adversity. The Christian or laborer who quits is like a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire. Sweeties they are, bonbons, lollipops, living their lives on a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad in its soft clothing, a little frilled white paper, to preserve his dear little delicate constitution. So, you know, what do we learn from this? Don't be a bonbon. Don't be a bonbon, okay? Don't be a chocolate soldier that melts in the day of adversity. Your church needs you. Um, Most of you are from Southwest Baptist. Some of you others are from other churches. Your church needs you. Oklahoma City needs you. Um... Your family needs you. Your pastor, your pastor's wife needs you. So don't let these excuses of petty little problems cause you to quit. The harvest needs you. Don't allow it to become deaf to the gospel because you've silenced your own voice. So get over your hurt feelings, your bitterness, or you'll be left standing alone in the smoldering ash from the seething fire that's within you. Fight for your church. Fight for unity. Guard it without compromise for the sake of the gospel. Be the joyful, effective Christian that God wants you to be for the sake of the gospel. So every day we're faced with decisions like doors of opportunity or doors of destruction, kind of like the lady and the tiger, which we'll never know the ending to. So are you causing the harvest to become deaf to the gospel because you silenced your own voice? So listen to the voice of the harvest, the ones you've heard on here, the laborers today. Listen to the voice of them. How special would it be to hear them say, thank you for not quitting. And I see Mrs. Mrs. Cox back there. Miss Freeman. Miss Teal. Different, different, just different people who didn't quit. Miss Vine. They're still here. Still loving the Lord. Still being faithful. That encourages me that I can do the same thing. I want him to say, you've made a difference in my life. Thank you for listening to the call of God because we need reinforcements. I'm sure some of these older missionaries are tired and they need reinforcements. So let's keep the lights on here so that others can send the light over there. It's time to get your hands off the doorknob trying to control what's behind it and let God decide the end of your story because it's a better one than you're going to be able to write.